Welcome once again to Refresher, the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. I am Chris Levine, and I will be your host again this time around. This is number 42 in our series called Psychology on Vinyl, where we try to understand both the subtle and blatant psychology behind and within famous records. Now, this may be this particular band's defining record, at least for me, it definitely is. Uh, In 2003, Rolling Stone ranked this 28th on its list of 500 greatest albums of all time, and it also appeared at number 15 for Pitchfork on their list of the 100 best records from the 70s. This time, we will be hitting what? We will be tackling Who's Next, which is the fifth studio album by the band The Who. Now, kind of a neat aside, this record was actually supposed to be yet another concept album by this band, like Tommy was or Quadrophenia. But when they decided to abandon the project thing, they kept most of the songs. And what was interesting is that now many of these songs are open to way less specific interpretation, and they're probably all better as a result epic statements now were not guided to a specific storyline or time period. Now, in generality, it spoke to everyone who simply could relate to it. So what was the concept album? Well, the original project was going to be called Lifehouse. And here essentially was the premise. Uh, Lifehouse's story was inspired by Pete Townsend's experiences when this band was on their Tommy tour. He said this, He said, I've seen moments in Who gigs where the vibrations were becoming so pure that I thought the whole world was just going to stop. The whole thing was just becoming so unified. Well, the essence of the storyline of Lifehouse was kind of a futuristic scene. It it was a fantasy set at a time when rock and roll didn't exist. The world was completely collapsing, and the only experience that anybody ever had was through what were called life suits, and they were literal jackets. These life suits are plugged into a huge mainframe that he called the grid, which also contains tubes for sleeping gas, food, entertainment, Supposedly, someone could live out tens of thousands of lifetimes in a very short period within the grid by putting on their life suit, and that is how people lived. Also, this grid was controlled by a man named Jumbo. So, in a way, they lived as if they were in television programs because everything was programmed through the life suit. Once they put it on, that's what they would do. Now, the enemies were people who gave entertainment intravenously. And the heroes were these savages who keep things like rock and roll as a primitive force and would go and take it far away and live with it, like, for example, in the woods. 
So the story was essentially about these two sides coming together and having a brief battle. Kind of a subplot, there was a character named Bobby who was the creator of what he called Lifehouse. And what Lifehouse was, was a kind of a safe haven where he could broadcast pirate radio signals, advertising things like a massive concert. And what would happen at a concert like this is the participants' personal data would be taken from them and converted into music. So quite literally, when you would put on your life suit, you would find your own song because it would be programmed for you based on your data. Well, at the climax of the album, the authorities have surrounded Lifehouse. Then the perfect note rings forth through the combination of everybody's songs. They storm the place to find that everybody has disappeared in some sort of a musical rapture. And the people observing the concert have all vanished as well. The only thing left behind was their life suits. I've got a lot to say about this. Uh, there's a lot of psychology going on here. Well, first off, as sci-fi as all of this is and the premise is, I kind of got to hand it to Pete Townsend in 1971 because he hit the future on the head in many ways here. A few examples. How many of us, for example, are plugged into a huge mainframe which contains tubes for sleeping gas, food, and entertainment, and is programmed by specific sources that we don't know? This is extremely pre-internet time-wise, but this is so internet, isn't it? I mean, think too about this. According to the story, People literally felt naked if they left home without their life suit, which, again, easily could be compared to the Internet. I mean, how many of us either panic or are totally uncomfortable when we leave home and we forgot our phone? We didn't used to have to take a phone with us ever, anywhere. And is it the phone itself not being with us that causes concern? Not being able to be reached? Maybe. Or is it perhaps the lack of the Internet? being on our person at all times is the internet essentially our life suit and, and the idea of us being fed through the life suits or the internet how to live being shown examples as to what to prioritize and what to value personally all i could think of was reality television i mean reality television rarely is reality in fact, in many cases, it's admitted to scripting scenarios to make them more interesting. But we watch and view it as real life, and we often live vicariously through it. On the internet are influencers that completely speak to young people and people of all ages who are looking for some direction. I mean, to me, it's not that far off from the concept of a life suit. But now let's put the songs into context. Baba O'Reilly, which is the first track, actually, it's interesting. It refers to two of Pete Townsend's major inspirations at the time, which is Meher Baba and Terry Riley. Uh, Terry Riley, it's fair to say, is, is best known as a pioneer of the minimalist school of composition. Now, in the Lifehouse story, 
a very old guru emerges and says, I remember rock music. It was absolutely amazing. It really did something to people. He kind of spoke of kind of a nirvana that people reached through listening to this kind of music. Well, the old man decides that he's going to try to set it up so that the effect can be experienced eternally. Everybody would be snapped out of their programmed environment through this rock and roll induced liberated selflessness. The life house was where this was supposed to basically happen. It was where the music was played. So then it developed into, well, why just simulate it? Why not just try to make it happen? Somehow in context, the lyrics, lyrics, teenage wasteland would fall into the state of affairs at that time in the story, reflecting on the fact that everything was so completely computerized and so completely already dictated to everyone, including kids. And then comes all the self-reflection of people trying to find themselves in this electronically brainwashed atmosphere. You know what's interesting? On this record, often you hear Pete Townsend take over vocals from Roger Daltrey, and it's always softer. You ever notice that in softer places of reflection? It's kind of like when Getty Lee would tone his voice way down when not seeing the rough voices of the priests of Syrinx on 2112. And, and it's, I don't find it that ironic, but Getty Lee would emerge later as a massive Who fan that would start a band called Rush. Pete Townsend would come in with beautifully soft self-reflection in the middle of otherwise bombastic anthems. Think about the song Bargain. He's saying, I sit looking round, I look at my face in the mirror, I know I'm worth nothing without you. And like one and one don't make two, one and one make one. And I'm looking for that free ride to me. I'm looking for you. In Baba O'Reilly, again, he, here he is, appearing, singing softly. Don't cry. Don't raise your eye. It's only teenage wasteland. In the song is over, he sings. The song is over. It's all behind me. I should have known it. She tried to find me. Our love is over. They're all ahead now. I've got to learn it. I'm going to sing out. Personal searching for identity. What happened? Where am I in my life? What happens if I don't use this suit? It's searching for identity in a world that pre-provided you an identity, and it's in full effect. The, the end is a climactic finish with the collective people having decided they're not going to do this anymore. They're not going to get fooled again. Knowing the gist of the story now, think back on that song's lyrics. Won't get fooled again. We'll be fighting in the streets with our children at our feet, and the morals that they worship will be gone and the men who spurred us on sit in judgment of all wrong. They decide, and the shotgun sings the song. Change, it had to come. We knew it all along. We were liberated from the fold, that's all. And the world looks just the same, and history ain't changed, because the banners 
they all flown in the last war. I'll move myself and my family aside. If we happen to be left half alive, I'll get all my papers and smile at the sky, for I know that the hypnotized never lie. There's nothing in the street looks any different to me, and the slogans are effaced by the by, and the parting on the left is now the parting on the right, and the beards have all grown longer overnight. I will tip my hat to the new constitution, take a bow for the new revolution, smile and grin at the change all around me, pick up my guitar and play just like yesterday, and I'll get on my knees and pray we don't get fooled again. There's a website called Shrink Tank that had an interesting piece called History Repeats Itself, The Psychology of Why We Never Learn. It says this, it says, you may know the lessons of history, but you're still going to be motivated by your base human nature. This is interesting psychological stuff, and it applies here. But now, imagine I never said a word about Lifehouse, and you only knew who's next. You put the needle on the record, so to speak, or literally, and, and you just listen to the songs. You would not tie getting in tune, join together, or any of these others to a story, right? You and I would just listen, which what we essentially did, and we would internalize and make it whatever it would eventually mean to us. Instead of Lifehouse, for example, we may reflect on the fact that most people get on their knees and they pray for better leadership, and they rarely get it, if ever, since man has never been successful in ruling man for any lengths of time without issues. By not making Who's Next a concept album, the Who inadvertently did something. They freed us into interpreting for ourselves these concepts individually. And I, for one, am glad they did it this way. They didn't give us life suits, which would tell us how to listen to these songs. Ultimately, they just gave us the songs. Then the words fill us with our own feelings and our own interpretations and our own thoughts, especially like the ones that close the record. And I quote, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. We have once again arrived at the time on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist. And for this Psychology on Vinyl series, the subject matter is the playlist itself. So we have for you this time around a Refresher podcast, the Who Who's Next playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher podcast dash the Who Who's Next. I like to do it just like I did it when I heard it for the first time, which was on a vinyl record. So we will do side one and side two. Side one, Baba O'Reilly, Bargain, Love Ain't For Keeping, My Wife, and The Song Is Over. We flip it over, side two, we've got Getting In Tune, Going Mobile, Behind Blue Eyes, and of course, won't get fooled again. That's our new playlist. Again, you can find this playlist really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast dash the who, who's next. 
we would like to welcome some new listeners to our show. Our demographics report shows that we now have brand new listeners in Federal Way, Washington, in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and in Tashkent, Uzbekistan. Now, I looked that place up. Side point, it looks like they have some amazing museums there. I'd like to welcome all of you to Refresher. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this show simply would not exist without you. If you could all do me a favor and please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends. If you're comfortable posting it on your social media, that would be wonderful. If, uh, if not, that's fine. But also, if you would like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, if you would like, you can make a small monthly contribution. Just see the support this podcast link under the episode description. If you are so inclined, that would be awesome. It would really help me out and the show out. But whether you do or whether you don't, just please feel free to listen and enjoy the show anytime. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive. The song is called A Day Late, and it was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. But until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher, the pop culture therapy podcast. Everyone, please take care of yourself and do yourself a favor. And remember, there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll see you next time.